Hey everybody, welcome to episode 4 of Late Last Night. This is our penultimate episode, and it's a great one, I'm so excited. Um, that means we only got one more after this, and that will be out on Halloween, and it's going to be great. But anyways, today is also going to be great, and we've got two short stories and one poem, all original works. So here we go. Stick around. Day one. A year. A calendar year. How long could it be? How many years of my life have drifted by unnoticed already? Surely this one would pass just as quickly. Hell, maybe even more so. I'm essentially returning to the womb, and I can hardly remember those times, nesting in my mother's stomach. So how could these memories last any longer? I wonder why it is we can't remember our infancies. Maybe the pain of the world is too crushing, too much all at once. Too much light hitting the camera lens, the aperture gets overwhelmed and our brains shred the evidence for our own good. If I had the memories at arm's reach, I'd spend all day and all night poring over them and torturing myself. To be defenseless in a frightening world, to not know if my mother would come back when she went into the other room, to think each night that the sun may not come back up, seeing an insect get squashed on the sidewalk, watching a piece of fruit go brown in the sun, for the first time watching everything wilt and wither away with time. It's not until we have our bearings more or less that our brains allow us to look back Smash cut to chapter five, filling in the gaps with secondhand mythology and photographs on the wall. And here I am again, inducing infancy. For the days have grown too dark. I, I just need a clean slate, a page turn, a line break, an intermission, just a breath. I can't even walk to the store without breaking down into tears. The gears start turning with my appearance, catching my face in a pane of glass, tired, fading. And then the voice of my father comes in, barking his scotch-breathed ethics from the armchair, sticking his thumb right in my eye. Laziness, purposelessness, despair, insecurity. And when I put my head up and look around my block, all I see is consumerism, suburban sprawl, broken dreams, poverty, disease, repression, abuse. Greta. If anything, it'll be an experiment. You know, maybe I'll write a New York Times best-selling book or something. Yeah, yeah, talk shows, all that. At least it'll get me through Thanksgiving conversations. I've got food rations, a kitchenette, washer, dryer, records, board games, playing cards, films, books, and my journals. Uh, I even got my older brother's original N64 with Mario Kart and uh, this 2004 Dell PC with only Microsoft Word on it. No internet, no cable, 
no phone, no updates, no news stories, nobody asking me for favors, no social obligations, nothing. Just me. At last. I brought a scale to monitor my weight as well, uh, best I stay appropriately nourished. I think my four years on and off with Dr. Gelman served me well, even though that was way back in college. I've got the strategies I need to cope, and I don't have to pay rent or any bills really for a year. Doug let me put what few boxes I have in his storage locker, and this bunker, what a crazy random opportunity. The Beckers found it tucked away on their farm a few years ago, left over from the Cold War or Y2K or something. Roger and Leslie are those disaster type people. They let me stay here for one year, kind of as a test run to see how the whole thing would operate if nuclear fallout ever occurred with North Korea or something. All I have to do is keep a list of what works and what doesn't. So far, so good. The shower went cold for like a second this morning, but other than that, this place is all I need. Day 34. I have to say, I'm kind of loving it down here. All the times on the surface when I'd say, Oh, I'll write that when I have time, or I'll watch that one day. This is that time. This is that day. So far, I've scribbled a few poems, some of which could be songs, but I didn't bring a guitar or anything. I made a little drum set out of upside-down Tupperwares that I bang on in the evenings. It's interesting how my circadian rhythms have already switched. I tend to sleep for six hours or so, and then up for four, back down for two, then up until I'm tired and all over again. My days are like 21 hours or so on average, so I feel like I'm actually making more time. I've kept up with some push-ups and sit-ups. I tried jumping up on the chair over and over again for some cardio, but ended up twisting my ankle, which is fine. I pretty much just sit around anyways. But yeah, I haven't felt this inspired since college. I just reread a couple of Hess books and uh, about to start some Camus. Also have a couple Edgar Wright movies that I'm going to start tonight. Feeling full and free. I will say the mornings get hard. Um, I think when the mind is still for long enough, it starts to pull things from under the rug that you've been ignoring so that you can finally deal with them. I'm trying to make the most of my time here, but there are certainly things that I've tried unpacking in the past and I always just do more harm than good. Some things you just gotta move past. And with some things, I really thought I had. Day 81. I can officially do 43 push-ups without stopping. I leave this Swedish documentary on a loop. It's about these fur trappers that live in the wood virtually alone for most of the year. So naturally, I identify with the characters. And they're satisfied, and we're alone. Together. I usually tune it out, but every once in a while I'll catch a line of the English overdub when I'm in the kitchen, chopping carrots or something. I keep hearing this one line, the sun sun keeps keeps laughing at me, like it knows when I feel like like giving up. up. The main subject says this, like, kind of joyously as he's carrying firewood back to his shack before kind of laughing it off and just going back to his routine, but I can't avoid it. It's gotten to the point where I know when the scene is coming up and I have to run into the room, grab the remote, and skip it. But it happens so often that I I can't remember if I've skipped it already or if it's still coming up, if I'm after the line or before it. And I know that it only happens once in the movie. 
So sometimes I just shut the TV off and read poetry or something. Um, Emily Dickinson is my go-to lately. She felt everything, all from her home. To think that one person could have the whole world in their heart, the entire gambit of experience in a single room, it's inspiring. Last night it rained and I could sort of hear the patter on the middle hatch door that leads down here. I couldn't really sleep so I moved all the furniture around. I think I'm going to start doing this every few weeks, make it feel like I'm somewhere new. Day 176. I've watched every goddamn DVD at least twice, sometimes in Spanish just to practice. Uh, I had to cover up the mirror in the bathroom. There's just no point for it. I'm not trying to impress anyone. I'm not trying to impress anyone. Greta's come back into the forefront of my mind, though. There are times where I think I hear her footsteps on the cheap tile in the kitchenette. How gentle they were. How much space is in between, so measured, so grounded. There's got to be some psychological term for what's happening, like uh, retro synesthetic projection or something. I wonder if I'll get written up in medical journals or something. Maybe I'll even make the news. I, I wonder what's happening in the election. I, I kind of tuned out during the primaries, but there have to be front runners by now. I wish I could just say something to her. I wish I could hold her and have her hold me. With a single look, she'd tell me that everything was going to be okay. And there's part of me that can still take solace in that retroactively. But I'm deeply aware of the her-shaped imprint she left on the mattress of my heart. Sometimes I stuff it with pillows or roll over it myself. But all I feel is space. And I'm haunted by the ghost of who I was when she was here. She used to throw her keys on the kitchen table when she'd get home from the gallery. And just that, just the metal clanging onto the wood. I'd lift my heart right out of whatever funk I'd burrowed myself into that day. As I putter around this fucking bunker, every creak is her. Every time I put a fork on the table, I'm ripped back to our apartment. Metal and wood. Metal and wood. Why is there so much fucking metal and wood in this place? I even thought I heard her crying the other night. I was doing the dishes and I heard her whimper from the pantry. I ran and dropped a plate and heard it smash behind me on the kitchenette as I was already dashing towards the pantry. Whimpers turned to sobs, and sobs turned to screams, and the door was fucking locked. I didn't even know the thing could lock. I'm, I'm here, Greta. I'm right here. I fucking kicked the thing in, but my goddamn ankle again, and a hinge broke off and clanged against the floor panels. And then silence. I pulled the string light from the ceiling, and as it flickered on, I started to hear a wheezing and a whimper again, but it was my own this time. I was alone. Day 229, I just can't do the knives anymore, I had to hide them away, I got ripped on Jim Beam last night and put all the cutlery in my duffel bag. When I came to, I had puke on my white t-shirt, the only one without pit stains left. I couldn't find the damn bag anywhere, just like I'd planned, but 
When I reached under the couch to check if I'd stored it there, I saw cuts in my left sweatshirt sleeve. Underneath, nothing. Perfectly untouched skin. But lacerations in the cloth. As I creeped around the layout, I saw a trickle of blood in the orange shag carpet that led to the bathroom. And in the sink, I found rags and rags all soaked in red. I frantically searched my arms for cuts, but couldn't find a single one. I stripped to the nude, pulled the blanket off the bathroom mirror, and desperately searched for a wound, but there was nothing. And I saw my own face for the first time in weeks. My gaunt cheeks, with scraggly hair poking through them and hanging down. Empty bug eyes and a stark white chest. A rash I'd only felt just below my belly button, and a bruise on my inner right thigh that must have been from the dishwasher incident yesterday. I threw the rags in the wash right away, knowing I wouldn't be able to get the scarlet red out of the white cloth. I was in such a stupor that I forgot to put detergent in the machine. When I came back to throw a Tide Pod on the laundry, they were already perfectly clean. They'd only been in hot water for maybe five minutes. I sat there on my knees holding wet rags in my hand absolutely dumbfounded before breaking into a huge bombastic laugh i i guess i must have pictured the blood maybe more projection or maybe it was post whiskey brain or lack of vitamin d or something that's what a funny mistake i was really worked up for a second the, the sweatshirt i can't seem to figure out I guess it must have gotten caught on a loose nail or something when I was pulling it out of the closet. I really can't believe the story I started to tell myself. Do Dr. Gelman warned me about that. I always get caught up in this story attached to this ludicrous idea that I'm insane. I, I can't abandon myself now. That's what everyone's expecting. Deep down, I know I'm fine. 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 Day 302. I can't remember the last time I had the lights on. I've only just lit this candle to get a bit of writing done. You know when people say they know something like the back of their hand? I haven't seen the backs of mine for weeks now. Good thing there's a calendar on the computer. The blue-white glow of the monitor and the yellow-orange of the flame flicker and... I can see my knuckles and hear my breath, that's it. I've sort of forgotten what my voice sounds like, but I'm afraid to speak. I've unplugged the TV, that fucking thing. I kept hearing it even after I turned it off. Every time I'd pass the unplugged cord, I'd, I'd hear him. Get, get the, the fuck, fuck in, in here. here. You, you ungrateful, ungrateful little, little shit, get, get the, the fuck, fuck in here. here. Do, Do I, I come over to your place? place? The, place the place I pay, I pay for, for, by the way, and fuck, fuck with, with your, your stuff? stuff? And if, and if I, I did, did, you'd be, be pissed, pissed right? right? Well, how, how the, the fuck, fuck do you, you have the nerve to come to, come to my, my house, house and change all the wires, wires around just so you can play fucking Xbox, Xbox or whatever on the big screen? screen. It's, it's my, my money. money. I, I decide how it's spent. spent. And when, when I, I buy something, I buy it so it works. So when I come home after busting my ass at the firm all day, I just want to watch the fucking hockey game and Wheel of Fortune. That's it. I'm a simple fucking guy. And your, and your mother's, mother's off, off the fucking rocker, rocker these days, so, so when, when I, come I come home to watch my shit, shit it doesn't fucking work. Do you have any idea how insulting that is? 
All because you only ever think about your fucking self. I fucking love you, okay? Stop fucking crying. You're being a fucking pussy. God, no wonder why you need so much goddamn therapy. Fuck him, though. He's such a fucking prick. He's not even here, and I'm relitigating arguments from eons ago. But there's something mythological and ancient about those wounds. I can feel the tectonic plates shifting and grinding, but still getting stuck. Still some massive Pangea that can't become the world as we know it. But you know, I'm, I'm fucking down here trying. I'm all that I need. I, I'm happy that asshole can't even call me. Because deep down he knows I'm right and he's wrong and he's always been wrong and he'll always be the same angry, repressed, miserable fuck and I'll be trying. I'll be tearing down the walls around my heart and sorting through the rubble even if it means cutting my hands on fucking brick and steel because I know that there's something under there somewhere. I just have to keep digging. Day 364. Tomorrow I go back. Day 364. I go back to boxes and unchecked emails. Tomorrow I go back. Tomorrow I go back. I go back to boxes. To sunlight and sidewalks. Emails. And fresh food and conversation. I go back. back. And expectations. And sidewalks. I go back to boxes. Obligations food and, and conversations. Emails. I can't remember how I really spent my time up there. sidewalks. How sweet the room has been. I can't remember how I really spent No one to tell me I'm wrong. Day 601. Last night I got shit-faced and walked back to the Becker farm. I climbed the fence and ran through the cabbage fields to my sweet nest. But I couldn't get the door to budge. I was there on my knees screaming, Let me back in! Through the rain, through the voices, in my head asking me who the fuck I was, what the fuck I was doing. It was only then that I felt something warm and cold at the same time in the square of my back. Everything stopped and went white. I heard only ringing in my ears. I fell to one side, and as the white faded from my gaze, I saw it was Mr. Becker, rifle in hand, horrified to find it was me who he had just shot. And I can't tell where I am now, but it feels safe. A womb of sorts, I guess, but I don't feel held. I don't feel much of anything. I accept emptiness and relief. Bunker, written and narrated by Mac and Carol. The 
monster is always safe. It arrives by choice. The monster has something it needs to take care of. An errand. Something good for the soul. <laughs> the gravedigger keeps above ground, though they wander the same dark as the soon-to-be-dead. They can smile as they haul up the dirt. If you see them, their teeth are glowing. A dreamer eats the teeth in their skull down to the gums and wakes up hungry. A dreamer is nothing if not confused, trying to solve unnameable problems. A dreamer eats everything. A gravedigger's spoon takes food from Earth's mouth and feeds it something more nourishing, real flesh, all of something. The Earth is happy. The Earth is a dead rock. The monster arrives. The monster takes what it needs. The dreamer takes what it wants. The gravedigger returns what is lost. The gravedigger only returns stolen goods. The Monster, written and narrated by John Rockwell. I bet you don't get out to golf much, do you, Pete? Peter answered the question with a chuckle and a shake of his head. It had been a humbling game. Dr. Marcus Genhazer, a spry 67er, and Peter Kylish, an anxious 20-something, reclined next to one another on the cedar patio, the outdoor section of the club cafe overlooking the golf course. Two large white peach iced teas had just arrived. They each took an indulgent sip and placed the tall glasses on the glass circular table between them. Peter tried to start things back up. How much do you get out here? Uh, as often as a friend has a couple free hours. Friends, time, uh, on both counts. This is pretty rare. Well, and I'm sure work keeps you busy too. Well, I blow through most of that stuff before lunch. Can I ask you a question? Marcus looked down and smiled. Then he looked up at Peter. You know, you didn't have to wait through a whole game of a sport that you're not very good at to ask me a question. Pete, I could tell the second you met me in the driveway that you had something to say. And I watched you tuck it away, push it down. I'm just a guy, Pete. I'm not God. You're closer than most men get. <laughs> well, that's the most ridiculous attempt at flattery I have ever witnessed. Please, ask your question. The doctor settled in for a contemplative listen, grabbing his tea and placing it in his lap, both hands folded around the glass. Peter took a second. I want to release some software. Uh, kind of a new idea. Peter paused. Marcus shrugged. Not hearing a question yet, but keep going. My question, ultimately, is going to be, do you think I should? But I have to explain it some first. Like an ethical weigh-in? Moral judgment? That's what you want from me? You don't know much about me other than my professional achievements and maybe some things I've said in class. And all of that was about computers, anyway. You 
may or may not have read my book, but even that wouldn't give you any sense of my personal beliefs or my creed, if I even have a creed. You think I'm some kind of guru? Marcus continued. You know, something an advancing student like you starts to learn is the importance of using your resources and opportunities wisely, optimally. No, I believe I am, if you'll hear me out. By all means. I barely made a dent in this iced tea. I got time. Can I show you something? Even better. Peter grabbed his satchel and rifled around a bit. Marcus didn't peer at the bag once. He just knocked back a large mouthful of tea and hissed with his teeth when he got a little too cold. Here we go. Peter held up a small remote, a crude design. It's just a prototype, and, and of course this isn't what's interesting. This is just an isolated command center specialized to the software I've been working on. You're gonna blow up the world? Is that it? What? You look like the makings of the next James Bond villain right now. So what's it do? Peter made a decision right then and handed the remote to Marcus, who recoiled for a millisecond before tactfully accepting the device. Just place your thumb on the top of the wheel and move it down towards yourself. I've said everything, the number's to the right there. I can explain that later. Marcus threw back his head, shaking it and laughing, somewhat mockingly. Okay, what the hell is this thing? I really think it would be better if you saw what it does rather than me tell you now. Just like before, but with 1,000 times more sincerity, Dr. Marcus Genezer sought solace in Peter's eyes and locked the young man into an interrogative, no BS gaze. Tell me the truth. Will I regret in any way activating this device? No. It didn't take Peter a second to respond, but he answered so coldly that the doctor sat back in his recliner and decided to think for a few minutes. Eventually, he chalked up Peter's off-putting behavior to the boy's social timidity, and it wasn't as though he was indifferent to the remote in his hands. Actually, for the first time in a while, this was kind of exciting. Dr. Marcus sat up and leaned over the tech, one look at an unworried Peter, and then back to the little metal bot in his hands. He laid his thumb on top of the wheel, turned it toward himself, feigning a half-smile while doing so, and waited. Nothing for a while. Nothing at all. As the tension of the moment was subsiding, the situation became comfortable enough that Marcus resumed drinking his iced tea. Peter had still only taken that first sip. The glass was practically full. Peter had only intensified whatever troublesome expression was always on his tired face. Pete? He was in a kind of trance. Pete! What? What are we waiting for? It didn't work. What didn't work? Uh, can I have it? Yeah. Marcus had barely moved to return the remote before Peter sprang for it, snatched it from him. He placed it in his left palm as he turned from Marcus and began to walk away, using his free hand to commit little surgeries on the thing. Marcus presumed Peter would be pacing with it for a while, but out of the blue, Peter broke his little route of back and forth across the patio and started into the cafe. Marcus followed him, leaving his iced tea on the table. One glass almost empty, with a quarter ounce of tea nipping at the heels of the ice cubes at the bottom, standing next to another glass almost full, the ice drowning in liquid. Pete! His concern for Peter was increasing as he chased the young man's back. Peter tactlessly fumbled around waiters and guests coming and going from the cafe. Eventually, he reached the door and disappeared around the corner. Pete, please! 
When Marcus turned into the hall after Peter, he spotted the large glass double doors closing after Peter all the way down the hall. He'd left the club. As Marcus began a small jog toward the entryway, he could see Peter screaming at the valet. As he got closer, he could hear him shouting. Now! I need it now! Get it now! Peter was red in the face. Some dribble hung from his lower lip. The valet sprinted to the booth while another approached Peter. His ritual hospitality was cut short as Marcus came out a second after and waved him away, taking Peter's arm and moving him closer to the doors. He's all right. Pardon him, Charlie. Marcus clarified with the senior valet. I need to get home. Now! Peter squirmed. Pull yourself together, Peter. I mean now. What the hell is going on? Peter began to cry. His eyes closed and poured tears all over his wrinkling red face. It it didn't work. What was supposed to happen, Pete? It didn't even work! Tell me what! What didn't work? Please, Doctor. I I know I'm your student, I know, but please back the fuck up and let me go home! Uh Uh-uh. And with that, Dr. Genhazer pinned Peter to the wooden panels just to the left of the double doors and made sure Peter knew how strong he was. This is pathetic, Peter. You asked to meet with me, I invite you to join me at my very exclusive social club. And not only do you come underdressed, and maybe even a little high, you also put me in an uncomfortable position. Go postal in front of friends and colleagues, and then proceed to engage in such reprobate behavior, what just happened with our friend over there, that you could very likely be banned from this place and have me incur a penalty as well. Peter's breathing began to detensify. Dad? Peter's exclamation seemed like he was dreaming. What did you say? He didn't repeat himself. Marcus shook his head and pulled Peter from the wall and back onto the driveway just as the valet appeared with Peter's beat-up 95 yellow Volkswagen Beetle. What happened, Peter? Explain it to me, now! Marcus still had a death grip on Peter's left forearm. Peter, this is unacceptable! Tell me right now! Peter pulled away from Marcus with one sharp effort. All that he managed to do was slide his arm out of Marcus's hand a couple inches, where the professor re-engaged at the wrist. The sound of his bones breaking, and the sound of Peter's shrill little screams and whimpers as he choked for breath infuriated Marcus even more. You little rat! What is the matter with you? Marcus let go of Peter, who fell backwards onto the blacktop driveway and began cradling his broken wrist. Let me go home! Peter screamed at Marcus. The junior valet, after stepping out of the Volkswagen, rushed over to Marcus, ushering him back and away from Peter. I will retrieve your vehicle, Mr. Ganhazer, and will ask that you leave the club at this time. Dr. Ganhazer! How the fuck do you not know that already? I've been here eight years! Dr. Ganhazer, this needs to stop. I will retrieve your vehicle now, and then you need- The scolding was cut short when Peter used his good hand to push the valet clear and aim a punch at Marcus. He clocked him head-on between the eyes, maybe breaking his nose. Marcus scrambled to touch his face, combing his nose with his fingers, trying to find a break. He almost blacked out when the pain hit him. Peter shuffled backwards and sprinted to his car. Marcus spat and snorted up some blood before rolling his shoulders and going after the boy. Peter! Peter was locking the doors at this point. Then he got his key in and turned and started up the car. Marcus jogged up to the driver's window and tapped his hand on the glass, leaving a bloody smudge from when he touched his nose. You want to finish this, Pete? I think you're going to want to finish what you just started here. Let's fair as fair, buddy. Out of the car, and I'm going to knock your fucking lights out! 
Peter hit the gas and sped away, leaving skids on the club driveway. Marcus, 67, pursued the beetle on foot, breathing harshly and spitting saliva. The driveway winded in a circle under the entryway portico. At the other end of the circle was the valet's booth, and then the drive became a straight road that once outside of the parking lot, cut right alongside a fenced-off series of wheat fields, wheat on the right, big oak trees on the left. Peter's car shot out of the lot and began cutting through the fields and trees on the straight and narrow club road, but like some sort of prepared trap was forced off to the right, crashing into the wooden fence. When the Volkswagen's right front and back tire blew on a large sharp rock too far out in the road. He didn't get far, and some kind of adrenaline had empowered the doctor who cruised up to the car just as Peter was stumbling out of it. He grabbed the boy by the neck and pinned him to the road. He didn't say anything. He just raised his left arm and brought his fist down on Peter's head, and then he wound up again for a knuckle punch and knocked his lights out. Peter went limp in Marcus's grip, and so he let the punk flop onto the gravel. Marcus sat back and yelled to no one who could hear him, except himself. What the hell is wrong with you? What the hell is wrong with you? Marcus looked down at his hands. He was holding his iced tea, and he was reclining. He looked up and straight ahead. The golf course. To his left was the rest of the patio. Some couple had taken the far table and were ordering from the server. And there was Peter to his right, unfazed, with an understanding and sorrowful look on his face. It's supposed to be a therapy software. It makes a detailed, intrusive scan almost unnoticeable. You can live out repressed fantasies to alleviate your subconscious. Marcus's jaw dropped and his tea slipped out of his hand. It shattered on the patio. Peter remained stoic, though someone else might have said he seemed defeated. It was all there on his face. Well, what do you think? Marcus looked back out onto the golf course and screamed. Then he cried. He cried for the rest of the day. Students Ask Questions by Tyler McLean Voiced by Will Oaken, Mac and Carol, John Rockwell, and Caitlin Noti. Wow. I love the ending to that one. It's fucked up. Guys, thank you so much for listening. This has been so fun. And we got one more episode coming out on Halloween. Um, there's a cool surprise in there. A little, little change up. A little, uh, little cool nugget for Halloween. And more awesome stories. And this has been such a wonderful, fun, cool thing. And thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you on Tuesday. Happy Halloween. Mm-hmm.